Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast, where we discuss some of the most controversial topics surrounding addiction, and we provide you with a real solution. Did you know that most people overcome addiction? Better than 90%? And they don't struggle. You don't have to struggle either. That's why we offer this podcast. We are the authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. Our names are Stephen Slate, Mark Sheeran, and Michelle Dunbar. We offer two ways to work directly with Stephen, Mark, or myself, and that's in person at our private retreat or via Skype or FaceTime or one of the other video conferencing softwares. Our books are available at www.thefreedommodel.org or on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. And if you have questions and want to reach us, you can call us directly at 888-424-2626 or send us an email at info at thefreedommodel.org. You can also follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. So you saw a movie, Steve. Tell us about the movie you saw, and uh, that's going to start us off on a, on a topic here. Yeah, well, I really wanted to give you my review of Judy. It's a story about Judy Garland. Uh, it stars Renee Zellweger. First of all, the acting is amazing. Um, yeah. But it's, it's about basically the last year or two of Judy Garland's life. And um, it starts out with um, her as a child and it gives you a little bit of an insight into her childhood and it has a few flashbacks throughout, but it's really about the end of her life. And you know, this is a woman, she was, if you don't know who she is, Judy Garland, she was, um, she was a famous actress. She was in The Wizard of Oz. She played Dorothy yeah. in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And she was an right. amazing singer, right? But basically, her mother gave her, sold her to a, a movie studio. And, and they were like her, she was like their slave almost. You know, they made her do what they wanted her to do, including eat or not eat, yeah. you know, and yeah. take uh, speed diet pills and then sleeping pills and uh, who she could date or not date you know she wanted to date Mickey Rooney I guess they couldn't date they weren't allowed to but they worked together and uh, you know all kinds of things so her life was never her own and then in adulthood her life was not her own and it's not that she didn't have free will she did um, but she grew up as almost like a, I was almost a slave you know yeah, yeah and then it was more of people just pushing her on stage do this sing for us Judy you know and and then it was her husband being domineering and then them breaking up and having a custody battle and she never could fully have what she wanted right yeah well and, let, let me just say to the to the listeners out there that I haven't seen the movie yet so so as Steve is talking, um, I'll probably have some questions along the way, but go ahead. Yeah, so in, this is about this period where she's given custody of the kids back to her husband, and she goes overseas to London to play shows to make money because they're kind of the only people that will employ her, and she's notorious for getting too drunk and not going on stage, and she's constantly popping pills. She's unreliable in every way. She's 40 46 or 47 years old at this point in and where the movie is taking place and I how old was she when she died 47 
wow, I didn't know that. I thought she was a lot older than that. Yeah. I didn't know she died that young. Yeah. Wow. 47 years old. Um, they don't show the death in the movie. They tell you, you know, it happened six months later after yeah. that time period in the movie. And um, I don't cry at movies. Um, and I was tearing up throughout the entire thing. I was ready. I would, would have been bawling at the end of it if I didn't have to pee so bad. It <laughs> happens of, at the movies. <laughs> I sort of stopped myself. You can't from, hit the stop button <laughs> from crying. Yeah. Um, something it struck a chord in me, and I don't know if it would strike a chord in everyone, but it really did in me because I saw somebody who was never in control of her life, and it wasn't an addiction movie, though she used a lot of drugs and alcohol, right? Right, right. But there they were, didn't, they didn't, right. They didn't make that the focal point. Thank God, because so much yeah, of that is overblown. They so didn't make it the focal point. They yeah. didn't have these cliches. It was just what she did. And it's, it. now maybe it's just me because I'm seeing it in a lot of people lately. But I see it with, with people that everything is laid out for them in life either structured by parents or by a husband or by a wife or yeah. right where you know they don't get to make any of their own decisions or whether that's the military too sometimes right boy you're 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 hitting on i have a lot of things to say about this with our guests and what we're seeing at the retreat now with millennials uh guys coming back from afghanistan which we we specialize in uh, people from the military now um but but I'll, I'll you keep going. Yeah, and I just see this all the time. Um, using alcohol or drugs, I, you know, right? We we wrote the Freedom Model together. You know that I don't think that um, drugs actually relieve emotional pain. Right. Of course they can't. Right. They can't. Yeah. It's, and it's how know, we interpret the buzz. Right. Yeah. It's how you interpret the buzz. It's subjective, yep. and we can't go into all that right now. But they don't really, they don't really take away stress and pain, and they don't really provide euphoria. They provide physical feelings, sensations, right? That we that's interpret a, and yes, experience. That's yes. a different thing. That's but nevertheless, right. nevertheless, when you take drugs or alcohol, you have control over how you feel, right? And the ones that people develop problems with are the ones where you have the most control over how you feel if you get on a crazy ride with ecstasy or let's say peyote or lsd or mushrooms you don't have control over these little ups and downs dips and peaks where you have another like with alcohol you can do that yeah you can regulate it you can regulate it with within minutes and hours whereas you you take one of those big drugs (laughs) <laughs> that you know you're locked into it for eight hours those are the drugs that nobody has a problem with almost at all right it's the ones where that's you, a great point yeah it's not enjoyable to actually lose control yeah <laughs> no and if you ever if you ever want to believe that take a ride via passenger in a race car with a real race car driver and and have that experience if you're not used to it and let me tell you it'll terrify the shit out of you <laughs> in a race car yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um so i i think that um People who don't have a lot of control over many aspects of their life, or it just doesn't seem convenient for them to wrestle that control away from yeah. Yeah. parents or whoever else, um, 
they can take, um, they can pop a pill and for an hour or two, it'll change the way they feel. And that's something they got control over. That's right. It's, it's, it's something that they own. Yes. Yeah. You know, and as well, there's the other thing of you can become a mess and that allows you to not have somebody force you to do something because you're literally incapacitated. Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's another aspect of this. But I think Judy, the one thing she really had control over was taking the drugs and the alcohol. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry, I'll let you no, go. No, no, this is, this is really great. I, I've been seeing it at our retreat and in, in the private instruction classes that, that we teach. Uh, there is certainly a pattern a pattern within our culture that has changed uh, a lot since the time that I've been in the addiction help industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which was 30 years ago when I first started helping people. And in the last, f- I would say five years, maybe even three years, there's been a, a real increase in the amount of people who are incredibly um, lost because they're never allowed to have control over their lives. And it's and, and so what happens is they they drink and drug as a way that some of them drink at their family, right? Yeah. It gets to where it's so contentious and and the narrative that they're powerless is so deep also. So you have two sides to this. Um, they feel powerless. Their parents are indoctrinated into the cultural idea that they're powerless. But they still are telling the person, you need to stop. Yeah. Meanwhile, in a lot of cases of the millennials that are, you know, maybe less than 30 years old, um, they're being supported by their parents. So they're, they're hooked in. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that uh, you better stop or you're not getting your trust fund. Yeah. That, I, I hear that constantly now. Um, you have affluent parents with these these kids that aren't kids, mm-hmm. they're 30, and they're being held hostage. And so the only control they have is, well, fuck you, dad. I'm gonna destroy myself, yeah. watch. See how you like it. And, and it's tragic. It's actually incredibly sad to, to, to see this. Now, the good- I, Can I say something too? No, go. Growing up now, it wasn't all of that in my family, but it was, I grew up in a family my father had invested money for us and did things like that. And um, and there were these strings. Yeah. You know, and part of the problem too when you're in that situation is you don't feel like you can, you could let go of those strings. Like you don't feel like you could exist without that. Yeah, because right? it's been part it, of your life since you're a kid. It's almost like yeah. you're on crutches, yeah. right? You've never gone out and supported yourself. And so, you're doubly intimidated because your dad or your mom who gained that wealth, you hear all the stories about how hard it was and what they did and it's larger than life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I and it, there's also, and a side note, also you feel like you have to be more um, successful because yes. if they were to achieve this success coming from nothing, right, you feel like, Everybody's going to look at you like if you just take over the family business or if you just accomplish this kind of thing and just live a normal life, that ain't good enough because you're a spoiled rich kid and you feel like you have to do something spectacular. 
spectacular. And so you put that pressure on yourself, <laughs> yeah. and then you think, oh, God, where do I start? <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Oh, God, where do I start? Yeah. You know, and then panic sets in, and where you start is, well, fuck it. I'm going to go get high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, and then the control and the puppeteer show starts yeah. with the families. I, I think that I, so I just had a, a student who comes from an extremely wealthy family and um, really good people, really good people. And most of these families are, are good people, you know, they're, they're all good people. I mean, we don't get bad guests, right? So, so regardless of their circumstances. And uh, this fella really couldn't understand why he was drinking himself to death and he was 30 years old and um, he literally was had already had severe withdrawal symptoms seizures pancreatitis i mean when, when you get there with drinking it's it's the beginning of the end and it can happen rather quickly especially with pancreatitis and liver problems yeah especially at that young an age so i looked at this person when i had him across the the office and we're doing classes in the very beginning, in that first week, I, I had to get grips with, okay, there's something going on here with the family. You know, what is it that, that why do you drink? And why do you like it? What do you, and, and I said, give me the fundamentals. And he said, well, escape, stress relief, anxiety relief. I said, okay, tell me about your stress. Tell me about your anxiety. We're going to separate this from the drinking, first of all. You're not drinking now. Are you stressed out? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, that's important. So you're stressed now. Do you feel anxious? Yep. I said, okay, why? And he said, because I really, everything that I do in my day is my father's dream and it isn't mine. And I said, so describe the feeling with that. And he goes, I'm totally trapped. And, and he cried, like sobbing, crying. And, I, and, and so we had probably, I would say, five to ten classes like that where he articulated and he's never been able to talk to his parents about it. Mm -hmm. It became about his drinking, which I found really interesting. Yeah. Because the drinking literally has nothing to do objectively with the stress he's feeling about being trapped. He's the one that connected the two. Yeah. It became his solution, right? So here you have a situation where you feel trapped. You're ignoring that. And he was. He, it literally took him a few classes before he could even say it, say those words like, I, I'm trapped. Yeah. He'd, and, he, and it was like a big illumination to him. He had been in this drinking, drinking at his parents yeah. and at the family for so long that everybody was focused on that, like hyper-focused. And he was dying. Yeah. And nobody was saying, hey, why are you doing this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was the first person that asked, why? Yeah. And, and he didn't even know why. So, so this brings up, this brings up a common thread, right? Which is the underlying causes theory. Because a lot of people would hear this story, or they would hear what I said oh, about yeah. Judy. Yeah. And they say, well, the underlying cause of her drinking were these circumstances in her life. And from some perspective, that's true. But what it does is it paints it as an involuntary activity. Right. And that one equals the other. And it says that if you remove the cause, right, if you give her back, let's say, custody of her kids, because that was what she was wanting at this point in her life, that all of a sudden 
the drinking and the drug use will magically go away, right? Yeah. Or if you give the guy you're talking about um, well, freedom to live out his own dreams instead of his parents' dreams, right? If you if you put him on that path, it, magically it automatically it automatically will. makes the the drinking or drug use go away, right? So that's the underlying causes theory, and it's weird because we always say you know there's no such thing. This underlying causes theory is bullshit, and that's us picking on the term causes and how strong of a, a word that is. Right. And people often think that we are denying that people have tough circumstances in life. Right, 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 and we're yeah, and we're right. not denying that, right? That that's absolutely correct. We're not we're not denying that. We're we're not saying that. What we're saying is, it's important to understand your personal reasons because it takes reasoning to make a decision about something, right? Yeah. So, what are your personal reasons for drinking? Now, they may connect it. They may, they may, they may really hold that drug up. In this case, it, certainly, he felt that as long as his parents wielded that control, and as long as he felt trapped, he was his way out was to drink at his parents mm-hmm. and uh, escape for a while because that's what he believed alcohol did. Now we challenged all of that, and now he's on a path uh, where it is he had a talk with his parents. We built an, an entire plan. But here's what's interesting. Whether or not he goes through this plan, he now knows he's not triggered or caused to use, that there are reasons. And this is really vital, you yeah. know? And that, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give another example quickly that makes the point. Uh, my family, basically disowned me when I was 18 after I got in the car accident. And here I was homeless and sober, mm-hmm. right? I was at home, had the good life, not a great life, but a good life. And then I made the decision to get sober the day I was kicked out of my home. I'm out in the street for a while. Yeah. And I never drank and drugged, you know? so. It's not a causal situation, and these situations are not, there is not a formula that causes people to get drunk or high. And that, it's not a, it's not a cake yeah, mix. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not mechanistic in that's, that way. That's yeah, in the right. cake mix. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, it's not, it's not, if you put in these ingredients, you get an alcoholic. That's it's not, right. It's not that. That's right, because right. there's plenty of kids with trust funds that don't have this issue. Yeah and just live their lives. There's many more of them, actually, yeah. that live decent lives and don't have an alcohol and drug problem. Yeah. You know, um, So it's all in how we interpret our certain circumstances and how we connect alcohol use and drug use to those circumstances, what our beliefs are that drive it. Now, in this case, this fella is now experimenting with drinking mm-hmm. and he's figuring out He's got a plan. He's excited about it. He's doing a little drinking. He's moderating. It, it it tends to scare him a little. Yeah. You know, he's at that stage where it's it's scaring him a little, and so he calls me and I said, "Don't be scared. You know, it's it's okay. <laughs> you know." Um, but the point is, is that I said, "Listen, live your life how you want it, but over here, 
do you still enjoy drinking? He goes, I don't enjoy it as much because I now know it doesn't really do anything for me. I just like the buzz, the yeah. physical sensation. And I said, well, that's pretty much everybody that drinks. There's your base. Yeah. Your base is, I like the buzz. And then are you going to attach a whole bunch of other stuff to it that culturally is driven? But if we were to look, I like a buzz. Yeah. I like it. Me you as know? well. Yeah. Um, but it's not enough for me to go out on a bender of fifth of vodka a day <laughs> yeah. and die in a detox somewhere, which is where I was when I was 19 years old. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's it's a there's a wonderful freedom when you know that alcohol doesn't have to be the solution to life's yeah. ills. And see, so that's the thing for me too. I I was at a point with my drug use where anything was a reason to use drugs and you know you could say some of that is well these were just rationalizations or justifications for using but some of them it was hard to tell what was my real reason and what wasn't but i definitely did feel like when i got angry i had to get high yeah you know right and, and that, the words right there were i had to i had to yeah, yeah. And, if, yeah. and if i was feeling particularly depressed i had to get high you know and i believed all that stuff and um now i have I get angry. <laughs> well, I was just going to jump in and say, Steve, have you been angry since you've stopped drinking? And drinking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Plenty angry, you yeah. know, and, um, and, and plenty stressed out about all sorts of things. And, um, and it had, you know, sort of all kinds of rough things happen the past few years. And it never occurs to me to drink in response to that because I know that, that drinking or going back to heroin, God forbid, right? Would would solve any of that. Right. How would it yeah, it's not a solution. And right. you know, it's it's kind of like once you know what's going on, and it's it that's what Michelle and I and I, I hate to mention it, but that's what we went through with the Dr. Sarno thing and the back pain. Oh yeah. Realizing that a lot of it was psychological for us. And once you kind of know it, once the cat's out of the bag it doesn't work that way anymore, yeah, right? And, yeah. and that's the thing with like, okay, so if it may be like, if you realize you're drinking because it's the one thing you have control over, but it, it, if it's if you're looking at it that way and that's kind of all that's there, maybe once that cat is out of the bag, it's a lot easier to put it down. Yeah. You know? Um, I know it's that way for stress with a lot of people. I mentioned in the book there was a guy um, that I gave him um, a paper on stress and alcohol, an NIAAA review paper that, that, you know, reviewed the known research on whether alcohol relieves stress, drink, drinking relieves stress. And the trick of it is, is that it's completely inconclusive, this paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it shows every kind of result. And it's like, well, we really don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, it's pretty much what you think. <laughs> and this guy thought he needed to drink for stress after work. He ran a financial firm yeah. and, um, and had all kinds of responsibilities, a bunch of kids involved yeah. with his church, having everything. And he was drinking like six really stiff whiskeys. And, you know, like yeah, yeah. probably 10 whiskeys. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Based he's getting on, hammered. Yeah. yeah, he was pouring strong ones after work every night. Or bourbons, they were. Yeah. And particularly. And and I gave him this paper and he like, and he came back the next week and he's like, 
I was like, what'd you learn? And he's like, well, it doesn't do anything for stress. You know, and he, he was just like flabbergasted, yeah. right? And then yeah. the next week, he was like, well, I just, the other night, I was like, I guess I really just don't need all that whiskey for stress. And I only had one. And now I've only had one every night yeah. instead of six. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge revelation to people when they realize that uh, they've just attributed this quality to a substance that it can't possibly have. Yeah. It can't logically be a simple sugar that is physical and somehow it's going to change your whole yeah. experience in life. Yeah. Really? I mean, it's going. how does it do that? Well, it doesn't, exactly. of course. So I know I can't remove all stress from my life, right? right? right. And I can't re remove anything that would anger me. Um, so, um, if I once drank for stress and anger or used, really, I used drugs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mostly cocaine yeah. and heroin. But if, if, if I once did that, um, how am I not doing it now, even though those things are there and it's only a change of mind. And that's why we hate the underlying causes yeah. idea because it turns you into a machine that not that's, that's triggered yeah a machine that's triggered not a thinking being yeah and you don't have to remove the suppose this supposed cause that's not i forget what you call it it's not the uh it's not the the most proximal cause right. if you if you want to talk in terms of causes yeah. the most proximal cause is your belief that the drinking it, is going to help right with that right and if you remove that then the stress and all these other things can come and you're not going to drink. And 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 the whole system is rigged in a way that you're going to fail because the whole recovery idea is like recovery is a giant safe space that they're trying to create for humans. Yeah. That that safe spaces don't work. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't avoid how the universe is constructed. Yeah. Right? I mean, life is a series of stressors and suffering yeah. that with your mind, your ability, your free will, your ability to think, your ability to reason and logic, you work your way, you sort of worm your way through this, yeah. this minefield that is life. Yeah. And these artificial ideas of safe spaces are ludicrous, but, but we believe in them as a yeah. culture. And, uh, and it's really harmful because it's a it's a super letdown you know eventually you get to the spot with drinking yeah. and drugging where it's not working and you're dying yeah you know you're dying trying to avoid life um, trying to avoid and and it's and this significance attaching it to drinking or drug use specifically is is really just a convenient creation of people you know, haven't known how to help really, yeah. but want to. Yeah. And haven't, you know, it's just, it's it's sort of the truth, but it's not oh, really I, the truth is yeah. the problem. And Stanton did something that I really loved at one point. He compared Gabor Mate to John Edwards, the psychic that would yeah. come out. Yes. And he would say to people in the audience, um, okay, you over here, uh, I... Did somebody die and you didn't get to say I love you to them, you know? Or, yes. Yes! Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, that happened. And basically, like, those psychics, what they're doing in this cold reading or whatever, 
they're saying things that could apply to anybody. Yeah. Almost anybody's had yes. that experience. Yeah. It's statistically <laughs> safe. It's a statistically you know, safe, yeah. And so experiment. when you sit down somebody with a substance use problem and you say, well, did you have, were, did, were, did you, were you have a lot of angst when you were a teenager, when you started drinking? Right, like who didn't? Yeah, yeah. you're going to find that, yeah. right? But now they've added this significance to a very normal human experience. And, um, and, and now they've tied those things together. That's why we call it a learned connection. That's right. Because normally you wouldn't, con- you wouldn't come up with that on your own. It, these are parts of life, That's, you know? That's right. Um, That's right. And in the old days, in the old days, before all of this recovery stuff, uh, people just accepted that there was some suffering in life. And, yeah. and I'm not trying to be like this uh, down guy, yeah. you know. There's just a reality that there's this gray area in life that is difficult. Yeah, and you, you shouldn't have to walk around believing that that's going to make you drink. That's right. Or use drugs. Now I'm going to read a tweet real quick. Um, I ran into this and... It says, um, at four years, seven months, and 22 days sober, I had a thought pop up that a glass of wine sounded really good. I could almost taste it. I had no intention of going to the liquor store or acting upon that thought. But whenever that happens, I check myself. Why am I feeling like this? All right, and there's a second part, too. Yeah. I wasn't having the worst day ever, but I was feeling inadequate. I thought it through and then talked about it. The craving went away. You know, it doesn't matter how long you've been sober, you're not immune to this disease. So I hear that and the assumption is there. She said, why why am I feeling like this? Uh, I wasn't having the worst day. You don't have to have a bad day to want a drink. Right. This is the thing that I, I want to, in response to this, show a picture of people giving a toast at a wedding. And say, did all of them have a bad day? Yeah. What happened in their childhood? Yeah. Is there some trauma? What are they going through right now? You know, there's this assumption that um, if you have if you have a desire for a drink, it must be something bad is going on. If you have a desire for a drug, and, and, and you need to know that with ninety percent of the world, that's not what they assume. That's right. And and behind that also, in a lot of cases, is this moralistic idea. That drinking is bad. Yeah. Also. Yeah. I, on top of that, you're heaping a little bit of shame, saying that you thought about drinking when it was so bad for you. Yeah. What, what's wrong with you? You yeah. know. So there's all kinds of angles to this that yeah. are just, just not helpful, and and not real. Yeah. What's know? wrong with you? It provides um, a physical tingly feeling that people find amusing. It would be like if you thought, I'd like to go on a roller coaster. And, it's and like, everybody oh, got... Am I having a bad day? Right. Why did I want to go on a roller coaster? Why, right. why right. did I want to go see my girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> did it, you know? You know Is this a result of my trauma as a child? Yeah. And I know we just hit 30 minutes. And I so I know that's a lot to bring in right at the end. But I'm, I, I thought it was relevant, right? Because with Judy, right? Yeah. Or with your with your recent student, we're thinking like there's a one-to-one cause between these negative things. And negative things can be involved. Yes. But also, we're going towards substances because of what we see in them. And if we change what we see in them, 
you know, and we can see something, we can see just making me feel a little happier than I am now, yeah. or a little less miserable than I am now, but it's all in the movement. It's All the movement is in the direction of happiness. We see that it's gonna make us feel good in some way, whether we already feel good or we already feel bad. We think it's gonna make us feel good and better than we currently do. <laughs> I know, I feel like I'm talking in circles. No, 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 it's, but, well, it, look at, and the other side of this is that the connection between stress, trauma, depression, all these things, and booze and drugs, when you connect those two, that's a, we call it yeah. a learned connection, right? So that's important that you learned how to, how to connect these things. And why is that important? Because you can unlearn them. You can unlearn it. That's yes. what's so important. You can take your stress, your trauma, your misery, the things that are the difficult parts of the human existence, you can put it over here and say, I'm having a bad day. Yeah. And you know what? Lots of people do. Exactly. And that's all it is, is yeah. a bad day. And how do I solve that? It has nothing intrinsically or inherently to do with your consumption of a substance. That's it's almost when put in that way a weird phenomenon. So yeah. so you want to separate those things and say what do I what do I get out of drinking and drugging yeah. when I separate that? Not a whole heck of a lot. You've taken a lot of the value out of the experience of drinking right yeah. out of it. Yeah. And what you're left with is the roller coaster. Yeah. The tingly physical sensation and is that something that you want a lot of or a little of or none of? Maybe yeah. it becomes so insignificant at that point that you don't want to get hammered all the time. I didn't for 20 years. I was bored with it. I was done with it. And yeah. now I drink a few times a month, right? Yeah. And I might get a buzz when I feel like it. But it's innocuous. It's irrelevant. Yeah. But if I'm having a bad day, I certainly don't drink. Yeah. I just don't. Me as well. It's the last thing that comes to mind if I'm having a bad day. But yeah, I want to solve um, the bad thing. I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I want to clear ahead when I'm doing it. Yeah. I know. And um, yeah, so I guess the reason I brought in that tweet, oh, the other thing it makes me think of, maybe we should do the next podcast on this, yeah. is is panic, you know, because mm. this, this girl in the tweet, she has a thought about having a drink. Okay, something must be bad going on. And it sounds like she dealt with it in her own way, which was good. But a lot of times, that's the tr that people get on the panic train. Yeah. Like, oh, what does this mean? Like, well, let's save that. Let's save that for the next. Just yeah. Listeners, you're, if you want to learn about how uh, we panic and what the solution to that is, listen to the next one. All right, we'll bring that in the next one because <laughs> that's a good topic. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help. You can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites at thefreedommodel.org or soberforever.net. You can also check us out on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. From everyone here at the St. Jude Retreats and the Freedom Model, we wish you well.